What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. I am your host, DJ Brule, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Rob Denudo. Hey, guys. So, Rob and I... What? Oh, we don't... Sorry. And I'm joined, also joined by my audio engineer and friend, Nit Tantillo. It's nice to know that as soon as a guest comes on, I don't get an intro. You just fade away in the back. Yeah. But yeah, I'm well, here. You, you faded away a little bit. Uh, what I was explaining is that um, me and Rob, we go pretty far back, and so does Nick, actually. We're, we're actually all in a band together, so that's, that's an interesting fact. So, Rob, I have you on today to talk about something very specific, and it's something near and dear to my heart, something that I have talked about on this podcast a lot, and that is something called an Earthship. So, do you mind kind of going through what an Earthship is to you? I'm not looking for like a scientific explanation, but just kind of what the whole Earthship experience means to you. Well, I'm drawn to Earthships um, mainly because of how they offer people a way to live that is off the grid and made as in constructed with recycled materials as well as conventional ones, but some recycled materials and it's kind of an easier, more natural way for someone to get into that kind of thing because of its um, similarities to the way we live currently in society and like your average uh, neighborhood or whatever. Um, so I think it's a way to get people with the off-grid um, mentality that might be uh, scared because they think it's just like living without any sort of amenities or common things which um you know is optional but people are comfortable with that well and that's what i kind of notice is the, the the optics of having the airship community and kind of the way that like the mainstream looks at it is is in a different way than when you actually go and visit one of these things so i had the opportunity just to spend a weekend in them but rob over here has actually done the internship for uh, what was it three weeks yes and you actually lived in one of these while you were there the three weeks and worked in alongside with the people that were building this the contractors and as well as the architect you got to meet at least once right yes so when you were building these you were you were out there in Taos, New Mexico, where they have this community. So, uh, the Earthship community was started by an architect by the name of Michael Reynolds, and he's been out there doing this for about seventy years. So, you got to probably see a decent amount of these things go through experimental stages and stages of where they were more developed. The one you got to stay in was that one of their earlier built ones. Uh. I think they said it was built four years ago. Uh, for reference, they're called Simple Survival Models, which are built... Uh, I think they were prototyping them for disaster relief situations uh, to build on like a really short notice with a small budget, uh, super basic. Uh, and what that was like was basically two rooms um, with you know, the greenhouse in the front part, if you're familiar with Earthship design. And, you know, attached to the greenhouse was a bathroom. 
Um, and then on the other side was the shower. So they were on other sides, like the toilet was one on side, was on one side, and then the shower was on the other. And, you know, I shared that with my, you know, like roommate. Um, but they, for power, as far as, um, you know, electricity goes, they were powered by solar, but it wasn't really enough to power like utilities or anything. Uh, it was just like, um, connected to a battery pack that I could, or it was connected to like a battery, you know, and an inverter that I could connect, uh, to an outlet, like a battery or like a power strip, which then you can connect, you know, a phone charger in or something, but that wouldn't even last overnight, you know. But you just you just had a power strip. You didn't have outlets in the wall wall outlets. Yeah, yeah. So I just had a power strip, which was connected to the battery, you know, and the inverter. All so that so stuff. bare bones, bare basic. Yeah. So so that example would be an example of you know people thinking, oh well, I'm going to not have any amenities. I'm just going to be plugged into a wall. But you were just in the survival basic. Yeah. Very basic small unit. Yeah. The the interns you know stay in kind of like the more readily available units like the simple survivals or ones called the castle or the hive which were built a long time ago and were kind of experimental and now are just used for interns because of their size they're massive um and they're kind of wonky and just don't really make sense i couldn't imagine someone buying them or wanting to really live in them you know so that that's you know one extreme like i said microbrands have been doing this for many years so it took them a while to kind of experiment with the environment and experiment with these materials that he's using to to come up with something that's actually workable and me and you both stayed a couple nights in the uh, lumeria airship so that one in comparison was one of their newer ones and i would say that one in a way was kind of high tech yeah, that one functions for the most part like a nice modern house would, as in it has, you know, electricity that isn't going to just uh, run out, you know, for the most part. Like you can use your lights and all this stuff. There's a refrigerator, you know, which might be connected to DC or something. But, you know, you get running water. It can be hot or cold. You don't have to wait or do anything weird or uh, really be... Uh, as conservative as if you're like you know you've got very limited power you might not collect a lot of rainwater or you just have like to i don't know just use it more sparingly but it's like the normal things that people have been trying to cut down on you know people are somewhat conscious try to like they at least try to cut down their water usage they try to cut down on electricity uh there's been smart appliances they've been developing to help with that so it's not even like that big of a sacrifice. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking from the idea of like just full on consumer mode, you know? So Nick, if, if an airship was something from what you've heard of, you've, you've only heard of it limited, right? I mean, I watched a whole like two hour presentation that you gave on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, edited and, it. And so you did, I've, like, you did edit it. the video. So, but yeah. from what you heard, is that something, if it was available to you, something you think you would want to live in or at least try living in? I do. Something you touched on in the lecture that was big for me was the idea of a lot of bugs being in inside. And you mentioned that there were bugs inside yours, but if the stripping was done well enough or whatever, it wouldn't be as big of a problem. But in a way, 
Then I think about like how I love camping and it, you know, I don't like freak out about bugs when I'm camping, but I think it's because I, you know, associating, I know I'm camping. So associating living with bugs is like a different situation. So, um, I think that would be like my only like little, you know, third world concern, uh, or first world. concern. <laughs> 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 so, so Rob, can you speak to that? Like what was the, was there bugs in your survival model or uh yeah the it did kind of feel like camping where the going from outside to inside didn't even really feel like a whole lot of a difference like yeah you go through a door and stuff but you in your room it's made you know it's like covered under dirt and it's got a vent in it connecting to the outside to get air in and then your greenhouse's vents that you keep open because it's hot in the summer as i say is it hot it was hot in the summer, like 80 to 90 degrees in the day. Now, is there electricity? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a uh, solar panel connected to like a battery oh. and stuff, but I didn't have anything to plug it in, well, like no plug AC into unit. it. I had, yeah. No, no AC. That's no. awesome that you, you didn't bring your phone or anything, did you? I mean, I brought my phone, but... Kept it like off? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know really what to do with it. <laughs> well, you had an outlet, you said, like a power Yeah, strip. I mean, I could charge it, you could but... At least, you could at least do that, but you didn't have any light major yeah like, i mean utilities or anything it's like we're you know you were out there working and then if you're not doing that you're probably hanging out with the other interns or uh just doing something in the town or just hanging out you know okay so um so you've told us a little bit kind of like your experience in the survival model so what kind of experience how did it differ from the more advanced model uh it was a lot more I would say unfinished, like it, it's a survival model. So there was things that they didn't put in that would normally go into an earth ship or they modified systems to be like way more simpler uh, or, you know, much more uh, affordable to make. Like, for example, the water, if I wanted to take a shower, I would have to go to uh, this thing on the wall. There was like four channels, like four valves. And I'd have to fill up the valve for the hot water. So I'd turn it on, you know, turn the pump on so it would pump water. And it'd go fill up uh, this, like, tank that was sitting in the window. So it'd get hit by the sun. So you'd have to fill up your tank, um, fill it all the way up. That would be your tank for showering. Um, and then you'd see it overflow, so you turn it off. And then you have to wait for it to heat up. Oh, in by the, the sunlight? Yeah. So oh, if you wow. keep water in there through the day, it's fine. But you do have to be mindful. Like at night, you can't take a hot shower. So you have to like fill up your Can hot you take water. take a cold shower? Yeah, you could fill up your cold water one, which wasn't in the sun. It was just on the inside. Um, or you'd have to fill up your uh, tank for like your sink. So it was basically just a bunch of hoses running from this like valve uh, unit. So there's all these hoses running up the side of the wall one into like each tank and it's just kind of it kind of looked like a mess i think i have a picture of it on my phone but it was obviously very uh basic so, so you could rig it up very simply so you talked about like the crudeness of the survival model but the one we stayed in yeah would you say that felt like an actual house yeah. like we're in right now you just can really just go to a regular sink and just turn it on take a shower yeah. it's hot like right away because i remember it didn't really feel like camping no, no, those are nice. They they feel a lot more sealed off from the outside. The survival ones, like, I don't know. They're, I they saw some weird bugs in there. You did? Yeah. Was it, so there was there a bunch of spiders? <laughs> Not spiders, just like, 
shit ton of flies uh, and other like just like weird little crawly things. Oh, so <laughs> fun. Do you sleep like in a bed? a bed? Yeah. Yeah. Were there bugs in your bed? I don't think so. <laughs> well, like you said, it's kind of like camping. You it get was bugs. really high off the ground. You get bugs in your tent camping. Yeah, and it's really not that big of a deal. But you're not living camping. You would no. think it's a big deal if you're, it was your permanent residence. Yeah. But the, the, like, like I was saying, though, that's just the survival. The newer ones really, except for the bud problem, they have a lot of the other issues solved. I mean, it's not you're not sacrificing as much, which is pretty cool. A lot of people get the wrong idea. You know, in the mainstream, it's kind of the wrong idea that this is like a dirty hippie commune. I know this is totally defeating the purpose of sort of having it, but it's maybe it's not because, you know, you're still doing it off-grid, kind of. Could you get, like, Wi-Fi out there so that, you know, I could still make a living online and, you know, but live this really you know, unique lifestyle. I mean, is that something or is that against the rules? No, they have, of? they have Wi-Fi out there. I don't yeah. know if your survival model did, but they have Wi-Fi. My unit didn't, but the one next to us, which was the old architect's office, uh, which is no longer being used for, you know, the architect to make any designs it's for interns now, but uh, they had Wi-Fi in there, which is really good. Um, I didn't get it from my room, but it was like a one minute walk away i mean i could see it being super plausible then i mean especially for somebody that has some kind of freelance job a creative like an artist or you know somebody that does like what i do like audio or something you know maybe somebody that does like photography and works on photoshop or something um it seems like it's definitely a, p a plausible way well, to live well nick just remember the satellite dish is now i mean everything is in waves is it cheap like, let's talk, like, money. I know it's not out to the public, technically. I mean, I guess it kind what, of What, Earthships? How much yeah. they cost? Depends like, on what you want. You I mean... Depends on what you want. If I wanted a, a pretty nice Earthship, and I wanted to live in it, and I wanted to own it... Uh, to my understanding, just from talking to them, because that was obviously something a lot of interns would ask about or just kind of be curious about, is cost pretty much as much as a regular house which i think is kind of one of the downsides which is probably just due to how they build it it's not the materials that make it that expensive it's like the labor of a lot of moving dirt around and you can't use machines when you're on like these hills but they're not big it's like just the size of a house and like those cost a lot of money so then that just makes it more expensive so so it's actually almost just like buying a normal house. Uh, but you don't pay, you're not on the grid. Yeah, then you don't end up paying like electricity and all that stuff. Yeah. It's almost like investing in a hybrid car, like a Prius. You yeah, want to spend that off, money anyway. It pays off over time. Over, uh, over time, it pays off. But I, I, have, I have a lot of issues with, with how they do a lot of the earth shipping. And I think if we add a futuristic twist to it, we can really bring that cost down because right now there is a tiny home company that is building using 3D printed concrete. I mean, no labor costs. They just set it up and then the thing prints away and then they outfit the exterior and interior and it only costs around four grand. And you can do this currently? Yes. In the U.S.? Uh, yeah, they're doing it in Texas. I don't know if they're in major scale yet, but they're working on it. 
Well, it might they might be big in the tiny home business soon because they they right now build tiny homes, but the technology is getting there where they're starting to expand it to include a lot larger homes, and there's some that are going to be able to print with Adobe brick or rammed earth bricks, which I mean you could just use the indigenous material from the area, have it scoop that in, compresses it in blocks, and automatically sets it up. They have these machines; they exist. I mean, anyone can look it up on YouTube. These Machines are already being used. Now, they're expensive, but I'm hoping someday they'll start renting them out. And it could really drive down the cost of the labor, like you were talking about. If we can automate it and not have any laborers working there, we just set up a machine to do it. And, you know, the technology is getting there. It's really almost close to being there, too. And even on that slope, like you were talking about, you could set up one of these rigged machines to be able to do that, so... I don't think earthships are tiny homes. They're totally different. Earthships are more of like a sustainable, geared, off-grid uh, building style. But I feel like they're usually not made as a tiny home. Well, they the seem one to you be, were in, the one you were in, that's what I was relating it to. Uh, yeah, I would say that home. is a tiny home, kind of. But uh, but I was saying they are going to print larger homes. There's yeah. just, you start off, you know, obvious place to start is in a tiny home. And they've worked themselves up to building... I mean, in China, they pretty much 3D printed almost a mansion. So, I mean, it's all sizes. They're working their way up to something that can be done a lot by automation. Well, one of the biggest concerns that seems like amongst, you know, interns or people that are interested in this or off-grid building or sustainable building is how sustainable is the material that you're printing with if you said it's going to be adobe or earth things that are natural that's good but is it made out of that now because everyone seemed to be very alarmed that earth ships do still in fact use concrete which uh shouldn't have been a surprise in my opinion just because if you do a little bit of research uh you could see that it's made from concrete uh, which isn't necessarily bad but it's not this super sustainable like eco-friendly thing it's kind of the opposite no but you can you can use adobe it it uses some of the same properties and like the block construction the one that uses the blocks that can use just rammed earth compressed earth material that is compressed in these little blocks like kind of like masonry blocks i mean we can already buy like hempcrete or aircrete blocks and lay them ourselves yeah. super basic actually you can but then there's there's a whole labor cost and if you're trying to build a whole bunch of these True. and you like you said it was, a lot of it was kind of bat breaking work like yeah oh, it was super tiring every day just in the sun all day uh doing a lot of just various work pretty much all of it very labor intensive and not a lot of people are down to that thing is that doesn't appear appeal to the mainstream especially here in america you know how everything revolves around convenience no one wants to build their own house i mean if there was a wall if there was a drive-through walmart everyone would be in line for it we're talking about convenience and what it kind of reminds me of is this idea i had to sort of i'm trying to say this without giving too much away make writing a book or getting information or content for a book easier because writing a book is such a or, you know, coming up with content for a book is such a, a hard thing for people to do because it's not convenient. They have, they want to do it, but they just can't. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, I bet a lot of people would want to be in Earthships, but it's not convenient to have it be done. And we all love convenience. 
Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the things I was talking about as far as construction goes. But um there is there is an actual carbon footprint to manual labor. And and not a lot of people even think about that, but manual labor, I mean, essentially is just the metabolized energy that you get from eating and stuff. So, you know, protein is being used and metabolized in the human body to work up energy needed to... So, I mean, it's still it's still an energy tax. You get what I mean? It's, People still need to drive their cars, you know, usually to go work somewhere to build something. Yeah. So. Well, that too. But I'm, I'm saying just like the pure cost of you moving, I mean, that's using energy. You're essentially an organic system that uses energy just like a mechanical one. Well, like Nick said about the Earth ships, is they're not convenient because if you look where they're built, Taos, New Mexico has like 5,000 people. It's not like a big place. Or if you see where they're built around the world, it's in places that like usually need help from disaster relief or don't have a lot of resources or something. Or they're like way too fancy and like not affordable to the common person. Like they're a little too extravagant. Um, so I feel like the the movement needs to be taking sustainable building practices and bringing it to urban areas, to big cities, so people can live in a big apartment complex and still not be just you know using all this energy unnecessarily or paying these huge uh, you know utility costs or anything like. So I think for me, just not being involved in all of it, the question then arises. What defines an Earthship? Like, what is an Earthship to It's a company. Guys? It's a brand, literally. It's an Earthship LLC. So it they are built on that community to a certain way and cannot be built a, on, like a different way on that community. Like, you hire them to build an Earthship, and you can only have an Earthship if it's built by them. Otherwise, it's Earthship-inspired. Right. I ask them this question. Because it's not... It's not to code or to exactly the way they do things. Well, there's no single like principle or or method that makes it an inertia. Rob's right. It's kind of the um the amalgamation of like everything that comes out of this community. Their architects and okay. their contractors and the things they've come up with over a period of like thirty, forty years. Okay, but but what constitutes an Earthship being an Earthship? That's, I understand you just said the codes, and I well, get, that is built by them. I let, mean, it's a com- okay, it's a company. So what constitutes? <sighs> okay, what I'm I get it. I get it. So it's not an Earthship, basically. I think if it's not built like out of, for example, they use tires. So like one of the fundamental parts of an Earthship is taking these tires, packing them with earth. You know, hitting yeah, them rammed with, dirt. Yeah, into the tires, and that is like every Earthship seems to have that. And then it needs to have the certain systems, like it's on a certain angle, so it gets like the sun the right way, and it collects its rainwater, so that it's sustainable, basically. So that's the only, and that it's like covered in the earth, I think, because so, it's like partially buried, like the back half. Well, usually. the t- the tires are rammed filled with yeah, earth. and they're yeah, exactly. So what I'm getting at though is that when I think of an Earthship, I don't think of like Earthships in the middle of a city. Like, I don't feel like you could make an Earthship in yeah, the middle of a city. doesn't make sense. You know? So, w- what I'm saying is, like, you guys are just kind of talking about bringing it to, like, the masses or, like, bringing it here or something. Like, I just don't know if that's 
what an Earthship is. I kind of feel like an Earthship well, is meant to be okay. lived off okay. grid. So, so you're, you're moving into something that I I did want to get to at some point, and it's, it's kind of a larger idea uh, of of the Earthships, and it's something that I do point out in my lecture is that these things aren't perfect, but I believe that they're a good step, and a lot of them have attributes to them that. I want to bring to the larger scale. In passive solar heating and cooling is something that is a thermal property. It's it's uh, physics. You know, it's the science of physics. I, it's something that works everywhere, no matter what scale you use and no matter what you do. And I think these little concepts could be taken and used at a broader range. And I think they could be improved upon, like the passive solar heating and cooling in the Earth ships could be better. Like, I feel like they don't quite calculate it as scientifically as, for example, you would, where you would run like some sort of program or something to really get it precise. Because there in the day, it'd be like kind of hot. And then at night, I imagine it gets cold. And it's like everyone I talk to in the town that lives in an Earth ship or lived in one their main complaint was the temper temperature regulation was not as good as they were hoping. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole point of fractal architecture is to take uh, the study of a complex dynamic system and use plug-in chaotic equations to be able to figure out how to precisely guess the temperature or the weather. Like, so, so right now, a lot of times weather forecasts use, chaos theory to be able to predict what's going to happen so this recent hurricane that happened uh doreen or dorian i i forget the exact name but they were talking about how fractal chaotic equations need to be used to advance guessing how these hurricanes are going to like what direction they're going to steer in and i know that's that's one that's just a that's just a pretty common example of a complex dynamic system. So I like to use that as an example because everyone can kind of relate to how unpredictable the weather can be. Well, also the temperature out and how a system is going to react. So the whole point, I think, is to take these kind of broader ideas like passive solar heating and cooling and be able to calculate its thermal properties, You know, have it be another variable within the complex dynamic system and have it be able to react in that sort of way so that's the whole point of fractal architecture and what you were saying nick is that yes these the way that these earthships you know the branding of earthship the way that they're built is something for rural urban you know areas not for like the suburbs or like the city which is the way we like to i mean that's the way we currently have organized ourselves as a social economic system, but it's just a product of a social economic system. If we didn't used to live this way during the times uh, before the industrial revolution. So the industrial revolution drives most of our social economic process that we have today. So we're set up in cities where we have the workplace where there's a lot of white collar work and the economic centers. And then outside of it, we have an urban sprawl, of suburbs of where everyone goes to live because let's face it a lot of people who don't work downtown don't want to live downtown because they already dealt with all that at work so they go to live off-site and it's kind of it's kind of a, a perfect system for what we have our current social economic system but 
like I was saying, and I always say in these podcasts, I believe that the current social economic system is due to collapse, just due to uh, fundamental flaws that are systemic in nature. And so, with the advent of technology, I believe that that is going to change regardless. So, what what the what fractal architecture proposes is taking a lot of these ideas learned from doing these airships off grid and designing a new city to kind of revolve around a new social economic system and a new order. And and that's what I talked about in my episode about uh, ships and paradigm shifts. I, I like to talk about, and I believe that these ideas will be useful. I was going to say, this sounds similar to what we've spoke about in the past yeah. a little bit. And, and, and it all connects. And that's why I like to talk about airships, but it's good to get Rob's kind of firsthand experience with working with them. So we, we've talked a lot about a lot of negative things, but there's a lot of positive things that they've done doing these airships. There's a lot of great things that have come out of it. Well, absolutely. And I think really one of the biggest things is having an opportunity for people to go out there and live and work out there and even possibly attend the academy. If you really want to go in depth and go through the classroom thing and really understand how it works, um, you know, just doing the internship, you literally just show up and you help them out in whatever stage of the build that they're at. So it really varies. So you, you don't get to see one from start to finish. So, uh, but I, anyways, just having the opportunity to do that is super unique. I don't really know where else that exists. And that's taken something that just seemed like a far off dream to me to be totally real when you see the people working out there, building them, and they are just normal people that were like, yeah, I want to do this. They came to the internship. They, they stayed out there past the internship and did whatever they could to work there and live nearby until now eventually they could build their own. And so w- would you say that this was an inspiring experience for you as someone who's always wanted to go off grid but thought, oh, it's not practical, I don't know if I can really do it? Yeah, it, there's a lot of doubt from people, you know, especially in my case like parents or uh, just even some of our peers who just maybe are a little more negative, very caught in the way things are now. They maybe they just don't like the ideas. But yeah, it was super inspiring because I can go out there and live off grid and feel uh, like the best I've felt uh, ever. Maybe um, you know maybe that was just the kind of heightened uh, you know euphoria from being out there. But I think it's a testament to how. Uh, working towards something you believe going and doing hard work manual work which i've never really done was super satisfying and then the community of interns hanging out with them being with all these like-minded people everyone you're with is into the same thing you are so everyone's bouncing these ideas off of each other and like some people are like artists so they're really creative and they can bring in this sort of input and everyone wants to take these ideas and do their own thing so like networking with those people is what's going to make future communities because the earthship community is so limited it's it's not a community it's just like a people who live individually on a big piece of land but they don't commune there's no community aspect to it it's just it's just like living in a suburb where you don't talk to your neighbor, you know, but with the internship, it get, lets you connect with like-minded people 
in that community aspect, living off grid, which is super rare because you got to just test it out for three weeks. Not every intern liked it. Some people said they didn't like Taos. And I'm like, I thought that was crazy because I loved it out there. I'm like, wow, I wanted to live out here. I had part of my plan briefly out there was to just not come home and just live out there. And I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't quite do that. But it's a good opportunity for people who are interested to firsthand, you know, see that it is real. The people that do this aren't some super crazy, unique. Well, they're, you know, they're unique, but they're not special in any way that you aren't, you know. So, so overall, you're saying it was inspiring. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of networking and stuff, you got to go to something called Energy Fest, I think? Uh, Was it? Yeah, the Creststone Energy Fair. And this is uh, an energy fair. This year was the 30th year um, in this town called Creststone, which is located in Colorado, uh, which happened to be on one of the weekends while I was up there. So I went with a group of our, uh, you know, some of the interns, and Energy Fair is super cool because Creststone, Colorado has no building codes. So pretty much everyone that lives out there lives out there for the reason that there's no building codes and they can live however they want. It's just like a bunch of people are like, these codes aren't for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, I went on a little tour to all these houses that are, I think the theme was they're like, passive solar so they're heated by solar some of them were off grid so i got to see all these examples of not earth ships just different style houses that were um pass you know heated by solar powered by solar had some other passive elements uh potential off grid you know kind of stuff and you said there was geodesic domes yeah i didn't get to tour any but I, i drove by a bunch of them um so a lot of people are building domes out there some people build conventional houses, which is very strange. They kind of stick out there. But uh, I, I got to kind of tour one that's unfinished that was made out of uh, crete. It was part rammed earth uh, tires. And it's made out of all these like salvaged materials. And it was super cool. It was, you know, it's mm. all DIY. Yeah, papercrete. Paper, yeah, and and at the energy fair, they had little demonstrations where some guy was doing a demonstration on uh, papercrete or cordwood or uh, you know hemp or rammed earth tires and things like papercrete or hempcrete. They sell you blocks, basically like giant Lego blocks, and then they give you like a mix that you mix in like your a cement mixer to use as like a plaster in between them to hold them down. And then you basically just get to like build your house and they're made out of, you know, paper or hemp or, you know, whatever. And so, okay, there's, a, there's all these new building materials and here's what I'm going to say. Um, th- this is kind of a little bit off topic, but it's something I really want to explain. And it's, we hear people talking about all this new material, all this grand new material that's sustainable, that's cheaper, that's easy to use, but yet we don't see it being implemented on a mass scale yet. And being in the industry, I think I kind of have an idea of why that is, of why we don't see this material everywhere. So in my company, 
we build structural buildings. So we're deciding what concrete is being used. So that's what's holding up the building. That's a lot of the material that's being used is the rebar and the concrete. And as we talked about before, concrete, the way it's refined right now is super taxing. It's cheap to do. Portland cement is cheap to make, but as far as its carbon footprint, it's, it's massive. It's, it's not sustainable at all. And I've kind of asked, I've asked some of the structural engineers, hey, like, why do we just use the same material? If there's cheaper material for the contractors and clients to use it, why aren't we promoting that material and saying, hey, maybe you should build the structure out of this? And one of the big reasons, and it's actually pretty crazy, is that we don't have a way to easily calculate the other material. This stuff, concrete, is in our books, and it's just... We've done this so many times that we can copy and paste details of how to do it in our drawings. So it's almost like because the engineers and drafters are too lazy to actually go and do anything more outside the book because we have deadlines and the clients just, they want it now, they want it done, 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 now, cheap, fast. And it, it, it's kind of crazy. They kind of skip over doing anything radical because it's, like the client would get scared. Oh, that that's that's scary. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some sort of large scale kind of professional um, building made from something like papercrete, hempcrete, aircrete. You know, literally whatever. Because a lot of what I've seen is a very it's a it's a, attractive to people who are doing this uh, DIY method. So a lot of what you see is very experimental, or people are mixing different ratios of stuff placing things in different ways just because they're just doing it on their own they're not some big company that can necessarily afford a greater way uh to do this so it'd be nice to see something on a big scale you know done to perfection with these alternative materials um because i feel like they're easier to use as well i think it would literally be in a less laborious process, potentially. Well, so seeing it in like the city, is that what you were kind of thinking? Seeing yeah. it in a larger scale building? Right. Yeah, something like some they make just whatever. I was thinking something cool like a library, something that is maybe open or an art museum or so, something that's open to a little bit more experimentation due to the nature and starting small and building your way up because it probably poses its own like structural challenges or differences that might not be as uh you know strong or whatever you're looking for as portland cement or some other materials but uh i think it would just call for an innovative way to use it then or some sort of uh, problem solving you know I feel like laziness can't be a good write-off for not using these materials because we have people that are willing to figure it out. It doesn't. It's not like this thing that we can't figure out. It just needs to be uh, tried. Well, it's it's not even just laziness, and, th and this is something I always talk about. And and the reason I harp on it so much is because this is the main thing that needs to change. Technology is there. The building methods are there. Our capability technologically. We are capable to do it, but there's something big holding us back. And it's a crippling social economic system of a monetary exchange. So not just capitalism. I know I'll rail on capitalism, but any monetary exchange. So that includes socialism, communism, 
any sort of isms has to do with a form of monetary exchange. And, and I believe that at the core that that is one of the largest issues right now because a company that's as big as mine, in order to survive, well, they have to just get the client their material. I mean, there's no... There's My no, question is why aren't people coming to your company wanting these alternative materials? Like, how is there not a single person that wants this somewhere out there i wonder like, the same thing how is okay, that not well, a thing okay yet? well well here, here's the reason so for example a lot of people that come to us are giant huge government agencies so what we're doing work for right now is the light rail down in phoenix and that's run by valley metro which is run by the state government well the state government is given federal funding to expand our freeways and infrastructure, and we have to have a certain X amount of light rail to be able to do that. So these people in these industries and in these agencies, they're just trying to move the money around. They don't even give a shit, actually. They don't, they don't care at all. They just want the thing to be done. That's all they really care about. I mean, they're these pencil pushers who just want results they just want the building done don't do it anything crazy they'll whoa he tried to do a slanted roof that we don't usually do slanted roofs we just want the our, our bots so we can part the trains in there and call today be done with it and you know the architect's not going to be like well actually i wanted to get real uh, artistic with this and really feel and get my emotion out in this building it's like they're gonna be like no fuck you don't fuck yourself <laughs> They're going to say, like, we just want it done in time. We don't want you to do something fancy and artistic. Like, what is this? And, and that's one of the reasons. And, and granted, that's an industrial building. And uh, a job we did up on a trailhead was kind of cool, but it was also really stupid because we were in a trailhead. We were digging up material for the foundations and then just throwing the material out there's no reason why those rocks and that dirt couldn't have been reformed in the formwork and made these benches instead we're just like now nah, we want to pour in concrete we want to drive concrete up the mountain and pour it in here and that again was another government agency that was the city of phoenix and and, and the parts and rec department and the problem is is that there's no at that level, there's no visionaries. The people that are just doing their nine-to-five job, trying to get it done, trying to go home, and trying to feed their families. So a lot of them might like the idea. Like, for example, our company has a sustainability program, but, like, it's about recycling in the office. I'm like, that's not... That's what? Recycling in the office? That's not... Like, you have influence over how things are built, and you care about recycling in the office? What the hell is that? What about the waste that comes from the construction site? What about using 75% waste off of construction? That's one of the biggest wasteful industries is actually construction. So what the... <laughs> really? You're not going to innovate in that category? And it's just because, at the end of the day, the, the, the CEOs are just looking at the bottom line. I mean, they harp on, oh, we're thought leaders, we're thought leaders. Well, uh, obviously not. You're, you're bottom line leaders. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. And, you know, it just sounds like I'm hating on capitalism. Oh, there's, there's people like Elon that want to innovate and want to do things different. But honestly, Elon's even held back by money. 
money interest. Why do you think the Tesla hasn't taken off? They've been doing everything they can to prevent that guy from getting those cars mass-produced and out there. And if it wasn't for monetary exchange getting in his way, he'd probably be a lot more efficient at it. He'd probably be a lot better at doing it. So bottom line, and what I'm trying to get to here is that it's hard to marry the current social economic system with the sustainable building methods and using new out-of-the-box material because that's a risk. And people just want to do what has already been done. Um, one of the things I was talking to my friend about, um, Dylan, he was actually on one of the podcasts. One of his friends went and lived in China for a while and then came back here and said that China's infrastructure was changing quickly and that they were modernizing extremely fast. And he came back here and our infrastructure was still stuck in the 70s. I mean, you know, we're still stuck in kind of the old way of doing things. That's why seeing an Earthship community, a whole community of people come together and go, we're going to build out of a different material and we're going to see how that works. And that's kind of one of the big takeaways I take away from the whole Earthship experience, or at least just staying in one. So you got to live in one for three weeks and you got to actually do a bigger experience. So for you, what is one of the biggest takeaways that you got from this experience? Um, well, I think it's that this really is possible um, because you talk, like I said, you talk to the people out there who are building them, working on them, living out there, and they're just regular people who are passionate about off-grid living and are drawn to earthships. Um, you know, obviously they want to live in a more rural area if they're out in New Mexico doing that. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a, a testament to really follow your dreams and hearing the the kind of creator's story, Michael Reynolds, about how how all of it got started and how he even now is funding a lot of this stuff, to my understanding, is just going into debt, you know, getting loans from the bank and trying to sell you know finished models that they make to recoup the money so it's money is holding it back like you were saying but despite that an individual who is not part of some sort of huge corporation or that has a bunch of money is still making efforts to to further the movement you know so i think one of the biggest takeaways is that if you really want to do this you you can. You just actually have to want to do it because it's easy to come back from that and get stuck into the old way of living and not be as mindful as when you're out there or uh, as connected to nature or, you know, all the great things. Something that's interesting about you saying, like, when you're out there connected to nature, it's just different and you kind of lose sight of, like, sometimes you can lose sight of it when you come back home. That's how I feel like when we go camping. And it's like, we're out there. I'm like, man, this is so awesome. It feels like you're really experiencing life. It does. But then you get home and you're like, why does it not seem like I was going to go out and do something so awesome? Like, why does it, why am I mitigating this? You know, um, so it's, it's just really interesting to think about it that way. So th this is actually perfect because this is similar to what I was actually going to ask you, Nick. I was going to ask you, what is one of the major appeals like? Why do you like to leave your house and go camping? What's one of the biggest reasons you like to do that? 
I've never really thought about it, you know? And I don't want to say that, like, it's because I love the outdoors or anything, because I don't think it is. I think it's just that I love the adventure. I truthfully love, like, setting up camp and, like, being responsible for, like, bringing stuff places and, like, going and finding, cutting out your own corner of the world and not being bothered and, like, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just, I don't, it's cliche. I just don't. Okay. You know what but, it, it but really is. It, it sounds cliche, but the reason it is cliche is because it's intrinsically embedded in us. Our evolutionary biology is ingrained in us to there's there's a tolling. Na- nature, you know, has this not not natural like spiritual tolling, but a literal tolling to our natural behavior. I mean, it would make sense because I, I really don't know why I camp. I mean, I know I like to like go fishing or whatever, and you know. But you have to think some people don't like to camp. A like, lot of people don't. Right? And sometimes you have those people oftentimes don't like doing things like hiking or other things. They're very attached to technology or materials. And personally, you know, all people are wonderful or whatever, but uh, it's hard to feel connected to those people when they don't share that same connection that it feels like you do. You know, like how many people. You know, it's like... Why is it that we go out of our way to literally go hang out and, like, live where there's nothing for a few days? Well, th- this is this is what I was getting to. And you notice how that kind of, like, almost looks like a recharge of your batteries after you've been yeah. working on... Re- and the reason is, is because our social economic system is out of touch with our natural biology. It's out of touch with who we are intrinsically. And that's why a lot of the times, a lot of people, and there's the whole cliche that I want to feel close to nature. Our cities and our suburbs just don't do that. And you want to get away from like the hustle bustle of everything. You know, sometimes when you're camping, you're happy, your phone's off and no one's, you don't hear dinging or there's no Facebook and there's, there's you know nothing that like you that. Can, even if there was, you can't respond and, and, to and, it. And, and Rob, what you were saying, I think the reason people that don't like that is because I, I believe that they've been indoctrinated by a system that is synthetic that's artificial that's not intrinsic to us and i believe a lot of the times a lot of the problems with the human condition is the fact that we created a society that's completely out of step with the natural order and 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 i think that that messes with us in ways that uh, are are really innumerable Uh, i mean there's there's innumerable amount of ways and i noticed that a lot of people that are more connected to nature are a lot more balanced emotionally and they're a lot more they're a lot less likely to be in, indoctrinated by a specific way of thinking you know they you, you see them as kind of more worldly more open to ideas and i'm wondering if, if you've noticed that you know in, in in a community of like bouldering i know you do a lot of rock climbing and stuff so and and that's something that's extremely fundamental and intrinsic to what we do I mean, we we're evolved from climbers, so right, yeah. So I mean, that's a lot of who I get along with and spend my time with are people that I do activities with, like bouldering, or even when I hang out with my friends, like Nick, we have to go camping, or uh, you know, go hiking or play something. music. Yeah, there's always like something to do that connects us to each other. And but kind you know, of like the earth or something or some sort of greater creative feeling that we get. Or well, I know it's interestingly common between all of those things. They don't have any direction or 
you know, specific defined ending. Like when you go on a hike, maybe there's a point that you're trying to reach, but it's like, there's no exact way you have to go or like, no, I mean, you could follow the path or you couldn't, or like you just go back or not go all the way or go past the end or it's open-ended. And like, when you go out to camp, it's like, okay, like I can make my home wherever, go what through whatever road, go do whatever I want. It's open-ended. When you write a song, there's endless possibilities. You can write a 20 minute song if you want, you know? And I think that it's like people like you two and, and, and maybe a little bit less me because let's face it, I'm like a little bit more attached to like, you know, different parts of life, like electronics and baseball and sports world and, you know, fratty okay. things like that, uh, you know, stereotypes. But, but even for me, like, you know, I think for you guys, it's easy to relate to, to stuff like that, like music, open-ended, creative things i don't well, know what i'm trying it, to say it, really it, no but. it's because we've we created artificial objectives for ourselves we created these pressures that are exactly that are bestowed upon us from the first day we are born and we are expected to do these things and i they're artificial uh, objectives that we have to reach and like you said there, there has to be an end to them and i actually think i i think like you said, your example of sports, I actually think that doesn't have an end to it. I think that's not meant to go anywhere either. I disagree, though, because, like, the whole reason people play sports is to win a championship. Yeah, but then what about the next year? Uh, to win the next championship. There's but for still you like to enjoy goal. it, you're, you're not like, oh, I have to win this because you're not involved in it. But you watch different I'm saying cycles. As a player's perspective. But you though. watch different players come through. Right, but think of like a player, like in the moment, they are. It's not like h- hiking up a mountain where they're gonna like you know start the season and put in all this work, and then they're like, oh, I guess like we could just turn around here. Like you can't. You have to finish the season out. You have to play the 162 games and make the championship. I think there's people like I have a friend Trevor who, who you guys of course know, but he he's just wired differently than like someone like us where we don't need like to be driven by a specific goal, you know, or like need to be pulled by a specific goal. We can be pulled by like something we don't know or like a higher power in a way like that. I don't know. Well, that's even a thing of like I think playing sports is open ended where you do want to win. Um, but there, there's so many ways you can win, you know, like you yeah. can throw, like if he's, you know, pitching really in baseball, he could win by throwing like a million combinations of different pitches. That's so true. So it, it's still kind of like sports are still free for, I think sports are super cool. Maybe not the culture or the mo- money behind it, which is just a personal opinion, but like playing sports, that group effort, I think is what people is what it's all about for people is like tribe mentality. I could go out and, you know, go bouldering and climb stuff by myself, but it's way more fun with your friends. You do better when there's someone saying, Hey, you got this or they're like, try this. Or even at the gym, I climb better when there's someone like encouraging me or like just saying like, that was cool. What is it about humans that is that way? Because the same thing applies to when I go play golf I played so much golf alone a couple months ago and there's something about going out there alone that you think is going to be like so peaceful and serene. I'm going to like listen to my own music and nobody's going to be there, but then you make a hell of a shot and you're like, well, no uh, one saw it. Like, you know, there's like, it's because of validation. Right. And then the next point I want to make is like, uh, in in the same regard, like, um, uh, I've been, I went kayaking alone a couple times. 
and it was like something so weird because I, I went out to like Swarrow Lake on a rainy day. Like I woke up and I had this plan and I wanted to carry through with the plan, but it was the first time I've ever been on my kayak and it's an inflatable one and Swarrow Lake's pretty big. So there were all these things I was scared of and I'd only been like doing water sports and not sports, but water like activities with other people and enjoying fishing off kayaks with other people and swimming and paddling around. And when I got out there, it was very peaceful and very serene, but I almost wanted to share it with somebody like, and, and, and I don't know what that is, you know? Okay. So I, I, I wanted to talk about this. So you, you said the perfect word validation. It's validation and sense of belonging. And that's another thing that's intrinsic in our evolution. And the reason is because have you ever noticed this, how you, how you, you want different sorts of validation from your group of guy friends oh yeah and from like let's say a woman yes you see different validations from each mm-hmm. you don't want the same validation for a woman as you want from your guy friends no a matter of fact people even preference uh that with uh, with no homo sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's how they'll preference you know different validation that they want from different people so if you ever catch yourself saying that because you don't see that kind of validation from your guy friends and it's because of our natural order what's intrinsically ingrained in us and that's goes as far back as the pack hunting uh, oh that's ah oh, screw you i was literally about to say would that be like when a hunter girl like brought home food for the yes, tribe because because a, a, a cohesive pack you know one where everyone needs validation and, but instead of you know storing like a hole in one it's killing that animal because we all get to eat and it's the fact that you feel like you are are, are adding to the family or to the tribe because you just you know, killed a wild boar and was able to feed everyone. And so it gives you that little dopamine hit in your head as a, as a pleasurable experience. You get that little hit because you succeeded in that and everyone else in the group gives you validation and you're the hero of that evening and you kind of coast off of that euphoria. But yeah, Nick, that, so that's, that's where, that's where that comes from. And when, when you were looking around, you were expecting to get that little dopamine hit because you did something that you knew was an accomplishment and you wanted that sort of validation. Why can't we validate things for ourselves? We can, I well, think. I mean, we can, but the, the, the thing is it's not programmed in us because if you're by yourself in the pack and you, and you get the kill and the hunt, you just get to eat. Like, that you, So it's not... You don't get that same validation, that same sense of belonging. I'm saying this is something that's hardwired into us, and it's because it was advantageous for survival. If you were the Mr. Lone Shark and wanted to go live on your own, well, you might not have the um, diversity of skill sets to be able to track down and hunt your own boar. It wasn't advantageous for survival, and it wasn't advantageous for procreation of the species. And so these things become evolutionarily hardwired into our heads to happen. And it's one of the reasons people enjoy eating, having sets, why they enjoy drinking. is because all those things are hardwired into us for survival. It's advantageous. I feel like as far as validation goes, that word more so now is, is to me is thought of as like instant validation where you don't necessarily do something to like please a group. Like you said, like for like getting an animal for your family, like maybe... If you are like, you know, you have a family and you come and like bring them dinner, it's like super cool or whatever, but it's not like you, I don't know, you just <laughs> went and bought cool the dinner. Or it's like, 
you went and bought the dinner and you bring them back from, yeah, you fed them. But how many times has someone in your family came home with dinner and you're just like, yeah, thanks, you know? And it, well, it's but, cool and you eat it, but it's like, it's not that kind of validation. It's not an accomplishment to go and, and get food. Well, that's it's, what I'm saying. Because our, 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 our validation are, has changed. So people seek that in different ways, which is why we love things like social media or sports where it's instantly you get pleasure from something, but you don't even need to do anything. So you guys get to sit back and just reap all the pleasure. Well, you know? well, that's the blowing. That's, oh, you're sitting back and watching your pack. That's my team. You know, it's how people say my team, like they're a part of it and they're not even a part of it, but they feel like they're a part of it. They identify them. That's my team. That's my pack that I'm a part of. I like what Rob, what, what, kind of what Rob's saying. Uh, I have a, a mentor slash client um, and he talks a little bit about sometimes in his podcasts about how everybody says they want to start writing a book and people post about it. And he says he has so many friends, especially in like the life coaching realm. Everybody wants to be a fucking life coach these days uh, and thinks they should be. Um, that's regardless of the point, but he said he sees in his Facebook all the time, like friends and you know, people that he vaguely knows saying, Hey, I'm going to write a book it's going to happen. I'm going to write a book. It's coming. And he says, he sees those posts for one, two, three, four years. And he kind of broke it down in a really way, a way that makes sense with Facebook and stuff. Nowadays, we're just seeking people can seek validation for something they haven't even done yet. You could, I could go on Facebook right. right now and say, I'm going to, you know, write a book about how to podcast and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be an industry leader and I'm going to get a bunch of likes. People are going to comment and say, dude, that's awesome. That's amazing. Like you're totally going to kill it. You're a very smart guy. Boom. I just got my validation and I didn't do anything. Just like you said, literally the exact thing back. you said. <laughs> so, I mean, I think you nailed it right on the head, Rob. It's we're seeking instant validation for things we didn't even do. And furthermore, we seek validation for things we do do Instagram. Like every time I went camping last year, I, every single time I would come home, I'd come inside, drop everything on the ground. I'd strip my clothes off, grab a beer, go into the, <laughs> the fucking shower, drink a shower beer, get, <laughs> shower beer, get clean. Think about how awesome the trip was. Just like get chills thinking about how much fun we had and everything. Get out of the shower and immediately post the pictures from the trip. And then every time I get a like, I'm like, oh, you get the little so, dopamine hit and even the little dings. Yeah, kind of well, subliminal like it's almost like le- hit, reliving the hit. trip. Like, oh, I, ah, I and this know. isn't even related to. I mean, I guess from an evolutionary thing, we are we have all these things that we're advanced. Technology is advancing quicker than we can advance ourselves. So now we don't need. Like I said, that's why we instant validate because we have the technology to do it. But this is totally separate from even Earthships or whatever. But I think we can break out of that, where it is hardwired, but the brain, the com- it's like a computer, it can evolve itself. So we can sit here and I can say, oh, Rob is trying to validate himself. And from a different perspective, see myself trying to validate myself. And then you just have that shift of like, why am I doing this? And you can, you can become conscious and suddenly break that cycle. You know, we don't have to go around validating well, ourselves neuroplasticity, and doing these things. If you know what neuroplasticity yeah. is, and it's our brain's ability to rewire itself in a way and and what you were saying about the whole 
uh, you know, getting, even though you're doing nothing and you're still getting that validation, that's my whole point about why being alone validation isn't good enough. Why you want validation from the group, even though right. you might not even have accomplished anything. Right. Right. It, it doesn't matter because it's, it's about the group validation. You just alone in a vacuum, uh, like, oh, I achieved that or I made a hole in one. It's so okay. Well, <laughs> let's take it to a different level then. I feel like if I get a hole-in-one and no one's there to watch it, then did I really get a hole-in-one? It's not exciting, right? Well, I mean, it's kind of exciting to you, but I'm still looking for that validation. However, on the flip side, if I'm alone in the woods or my room or wherever and I write a really cool song and no one's heard it, I still feel really good about myself. Like, music is one thing where I do feel validated because, by because myself. That's, because that's creative. A hole in one isn't creative. You're not like, damn, I really got creative on that hole in one. That's such a good point. It's just objective. It's like I just put the ball in the pre-made hole, but creating something from yourself is easier to appreciate. And being being a hunt wasn't like an art, like, oh, man, that was real stylistic what you did on that stabbing. Oh, man, you really stabbed that elk real good with that spear. No one stabs elk with spears, DJ. They did. They did. How do you think they used to hunt? (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, like you said, being creative, like, I mean, you don't need to, it's kind of like one of these modern ideas, like, if you're creative and you're not selling your art, then you're, like, not using it wisely, you're you're a waste <laughs> of talent, this and that, but, like, you, like you said, you get a bunch of joy from creating, and it's not even validation, because no one's saying, hey, that's a good song, you're right. thinking to yourself, hey, that's a good song, just because, like, you made it, you know? Well, and here's one of the things about the create. So here, here's something I've experienced. If I invent something and it's a good idea, I don't, you know, even if no one's seen that idea or that idea hasn't been implemented yet, I still get that validation because creativity can still be an evolutionary dopamine hit. It's because that idea isn't seen by everyone, but you know you created something that can help with pat survival and that's why i think creative is different than actual just like you know i don't i can't think of words today <laughs> words are hard <laughs> words I words are podcast well, in a while i think that's the whole thing about you know relating it back to earthships is you have that off-grid freedom to be creative to get that sort of hardwired validation from something that is maybe a little bit more in tune to what you like yeah. or to what you feel like you should really be doing because we still are humans we need a you know honor that we can't evolve past it that quickly just because just by saying we want to okay so I, I thought of the word esoteric validation i'll say esoteric validation is the word i'm thinking of and and you can see that even in back in the you know caveman days, they were making cave art. They were still expressing themselves artistically, and a lot of it was to actually show their glorious achievements. You know, a lot of a lot of war art was made by that oh the validation of a glorious leader getting a glorious victory. So I mean, that that's kind of where the esoteric validation comes in. And I believe it's similar, but also kind of detached in a way from what we were talking about. Yeah, like I said, that's the thing about Earthships and how I think it all comes back around to, it, you don't, 
at least it seems like if you will go and try and live in another ship or something off grid, you're not seeking that kind of uh, societal instant validation. You're trying to get away from that. You're trying to tap into that to what to me at least my true calling. I feel like if I didn't have to you know, maybe my true calling is building off-grid houses. So I can't say I want to go live in an off-grid house, go build off-grid houses. You know, that might not be everyone else's calling, but someone like you, you could live off-grid, not necessarily have to worry about paying uh, the sort of bills that we have to pay. And you could design what you want to design because you know that's what you need to be doing because you have those skills. You know, Nick would be podcasting or recording or doing whatever the hell he likes or... You know, because we're not bogged down by work. And artificial anything. objectives. Right. Is exactly. what I call that's, it. Yeah, that's why we were talking about this. And I don't know I don't know anyone that really, at their core, likes artificial objectives. You know anyone that's like, ooh, goody, tax season is coming around. I can't wait to pay my taxes. Like, so I, I've never heard anyone say that. I hate taxes. Yeah, have you heard anyone say that? Do you know anyone that them. likes artificial objectives, like really actually likes them? Um... Yeah. Like, oh, I got to bring my car to the, you know, I got to buy a new car or I got to put a mortgage on the house or I got to build up my credit. Do you like doing any of that stuff? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you know anyone that does like doing any of that Some stuff? People, I feel like they might. I don't know. Do, do you like sitting down at night and thinking like, tomorrow I got to do this, this and that. I can't wait to go do all these artificial objectives. I do like thinking about things that I have to do. As long as it doesn't involve me stressing about money. The number one right? stress the number one stress I have in my life right now, and the only stress I have, literally the only stress in my whole entire life right now is money. So that so that's it's that's the, the point. Only stress I have. Paying rent, you know, but, for things that we could be having for free because nature literally provides them. The car insurance, man. Like two hundred and twenty like my car payment, car insurance and all this shit and like health insurance now and like it's just ridiculous that, man. it's like a side topic but that stuff i think is a ripoff like health insurance like if your health is in danger you shouldn't have to be paying a, a premium every month just in case because like i don't know how often do you like need to take out emergency levels of money like, like literally never but then when you need it you need it and that yeah. just sucks <laughs> because they withhold it from you it's not like you you have the choice or not right and it's like all that money that you spent paying for your insurance probably would cover what that thing would be in the end anyway exactly <laughs> at least exactly. none of us have student loan debt you can't even declare bankruptcy on that we thought ahead people go to the grave with that and it's something it's like a huge epidemic i guess like i i, I guess i always knew this but man there's people like ninety eight thousand dollars in debt and it's like that's your whole you life right there no school could have ever thought they were gonna like get that money like they're not gonna get that money like that's not well they just see that as a loss as a certain percentage they know they will get and so they're just going oh, well if we can get it we can get it like if not then they go to the grave with that shit <laughs> that's crazy have fun being married with student loan debt so 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 what's the wrap-up here so the 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 wrap-up is that these airships like we talked about in the beginning they're not perfect they're definitely not perfect and i don't think it's the ideal you know end game here if you if there even is an end game here which i don't think there is but i would say that what you've experienced and kind of what you've learned about what i've been doing with fractal architecture 
do you think these concepts are something that we can push forward in the future that we can take uh to the mainstream to the to the layman and have them kind of understand how this could be a better way of living yeah i mean i have a hard time even trying to grasp nowadays what the the layman is or who even because each demographic is so wildly different you think of people who only watch fox news or something and think of well will we ever reach them no you know certain groups you just can't access or people who are like you know living in some sort of countries that are so depraved where it's like they just want to like eat some food today so you're not going to be convincing them to like make the movement to do stuff when they're just focused on survival so well i think they're actually some of the best candidates too though because they have they've got nothing to lose but they need to be but the ways we're doing it you know you need to come in with some sort of capital or money you know true like but i'm I'm trying to make it so it makes money redundant money will become a redundancy but i'm saying like just right here right now in this moment to spread this they can't you know that there's certain groups that just can't be reached, but I think people in our age range or even younger kids being born right now, if they're introduced with these ideas, like what we were saying about school, Hey, maybe don't go to school and getting yourself into debt because then you'll probably never be able to live in this way. You know, you're limiting your whole life right there. Well, I hope that like kids being born right now, I mean, we're, we're to the age, especially DJ. And I mean, even some of people our age are having kids and have been having kids. Oh yeah. We're to the age now where hopefully we will learn from the things that were are happening right now. And like, I sure as shit know that if I have a kid right now, he's not going to a normal college. There's no way if he wants to do that, he can pay for it himself. And you give them that option. Hey, do you want to be in debt for a long time? They'll probably say no. And that may sound selfish because, like, of course, my parents, you know, would have sent me to a college. But it's different now. And my parents were teachers and they grew up with this. I think, like, we need to be able to be smart enough to help our children navigate through life and be smart. And times change very quickly. And times have changed. I think that it's getting to the point now where it's our turn to kind of help the new generation like pivot in the right direction and i think it, we have to take charge of that and when we have kids and stuff and our people our age are having kids they need to be smart with what they're they doing need to not keep the old traditions going just to keep a tradition right it's like okay you don't need to necessarily even go to a regular public school i think that even is an, is an outdated method because you think well kids have these social interactions if you look at a lot of social interaction kids have at school they're negative they're all poor. this yeah. bullying people on social media they just say negative things about each other kids generally like are kind of they can be really nice together but you don't need to go to a a public high school to have like a normal human experience no. people didn't have that shit you mean for a, hundreds of years you like, mean a brainwashing facility that's what i'm saying what so it's if, like what if kids started congregating in like like-minded activities like where you go everybody goes to guitar school oh my god there's not gonna be a lot of bullies here except for the cool kid that thinks his like you know flying v guitar solo (laughs) distortion is real sick sick. but like (laughs) you know i feel like if you put like-minded kids in like-minded places they're gonna have that you know much needed interaction they're gonna learn to to be with other humans but not in a in a way that's not conducive to their well-being well and that brings us to your internship like you were saying earlier like-minded people and some actual real skills that you learned you wouldn't have learned this from school Exactly. And no one told me in high school, oh, hey, 
uh, one of your options in life is uh, going and living off-grid and building off-grid houses if you wanted to. Everyone says, you can't do that. You got to go to school. Everyone's pressuring you to go to school. They're never like, hey, how about like weird internships or like just something totally different? No Why don't one you told just, like, you that go stuff. Quit all of your normal jobs and like put microphones in front of people's faces. Nobody told me I could do this for a job. And I literally you just have to figure it out. You, know? you do. And it sucks that that's how it is. Cause like I literally could, I can't do a normal job. I can't sit at a die. If I didn't have audio, I do not know what I would do. I would be actually, I think I would actually go into a depression, like my first real depression because I've thought about it. I'm like, what would, what would I do for a living if I didn't have audio? Cause I quit my job to do audio now on my own, but I quit Picmonic, uh, which for people listening is like my, was my stable audio job and I quit it to be on my own. And it's so scary, but nobody tells you that that's an option. Like you were saying, and it'd be cool if somebody would have told me like, hey, you don't have to like look forward to doing some shitty like desk job that you needed to pass calculus for. Like that, I didn't at all do that. Well, and then, I, I would be I, sad if I did. I, th- I think one of the issues though, why people think they can't do that is because they're just like, well, I still got bills to pay. So I can't just, you know, and if some people don't have that support network of their family or friends or people that are willing to help them while they don't exactly have a ton of money and they can develop the thing they want to do. I don't know where you're getting this notion from that I don't have a ton of money or a good support system, but it's perfectly spot on. Honestly, if I didn't have my parents, I would be in a very bad place right now. I mean, I'm already not in the greatest place in terms of money. Uh, I can, I'm happy with sharing this. Like I can pay my, most of my bills, you know, uh, on time, but a lot of the extra spending money, I don't have that, but everybody needs extra spending money. Like everybody needs groceries and to at least one time a month, go like see a show or something. So, um, without my parents, I mean, man, my, my car transmission got blown 2k. Um, then like, uh, I had to go like some happened to the doctor. I couldn't afford like, that's like a couple hundred bucks. And then like, you know, just the other day, like uh, health insurance came up. I don't have money to pay like my health insurance. Cause it like doubled this, whatever they had to, they bailed me out and they don't just hand it to me. Like they, they make me, you know, we have expectations and it's all, you know, I have to work for it a little bit, but like without them. I wouldn't still be working on my own. Like I would have been fucked like um, two months ago, three months. I would have been fucked three years ago. Like, dude, it's crazy. You just have to have a support system. Well, well, and, and, and at the core though, the, the main issue here, and, and this is kind of kind of has to do with the, you know, the overall theme of the podcast is that we're, we're expected to, you know, everyone says, Oh, follow your dreams. But make sure you have your dreams set up at age 18 before we set your ass out on your own. And that's that's kind of what's expected and of us. And your scene is weird if you... Or not weird, but it's almost like looked down upon by the older generation, which is the ones supporting it. But they, you know, they see younger people as lazy. Oh, they don't want to work as much. They can't afford this and that. It's, I mean it wasn't the same when they were doing it and their mentality was way different. They set up this system and then expect a whole new type of person to live in the system they made. Right. Right. You know, it's like without knowing they just think there's like predetermined circumstance of life. There's that there's like no going to be no uniqueness or change or, you know, pivot in life. People shouldn't need like a support system that's, you know, to be just a successful person it's great that we have that but it's like that shouldn't you shouldn't be able to 
I don't know, have your life be roped into debt because you, because no one told you, no one guided you, no one right helped you, you know. And it's, it's the shitty thing is like if no one told you not to, that's where you'd be guided to, just casually. Right? Like, I think it's good. If right. you just like were to wake up and you were an orphan and like you went to public school and then went to college and then got a job or whatever and like you would think that's normal. You'd think you have to spend all that money, but you don't. Um, and I mean, we talk about debt and like the amount of debt I'm in feels like weighs heavy on me and it feels horrible. But then I look at like real real debt and real people debt and i'm like that's nothing like <laughs> real you know, people real people debt you know like i'm only a couple i'm not into double digits or anything like that i'm not even into like halfway to double digits you know i'm i just gave, basically told everybody i'm between one and five thousand dollars in debt you know so I, i'm it's not as bad as other people but it still sucks you know like right. waking up and having yeah. that you, i know you, you guys know you are, have to go work in some way to make it up I know, and yeah, and so, man, you guys talk about this stuff all the time, so, though, and, and money, so but we'll um, have to do another episode where yes, we can keep going. Yeah, so, uh, because we got a lot more to talk about. And the second half, I got really, like, yeah, amped Earth up ships. doing it. Well, Fuck money. I, I got, <laughs> well, I got, I got some final things to say, and I got one final question, Rob, uh, for you to basically take us to a closing here, but what I was going to say is that this what we've been talking about with the whole going out and following your actual dreams and having the support network well instead of relying on your economic standing with whatever your parents are and relying on that fractal architecture and airships we kind of seek to have that support structure be your house where you're not worrying about have your mortgage yeah where you're not worrying about your mortgage yeah. you're not worrying about food and you can actually go you know what I want to take a year or two to kind of develop what I think I want to do and get it to a point where I can survive off of that. And having a house that provides you with all the necessary needs and doesn't cost you any money can give people that support network to finally stop the crippling nine to five workday, you know, 40 hours a week, just coming home watching TV because you're so tired and getting people to go, you know what? I want to actually explore my creative outlets and explore what I've actually dreamt to do my entire life. And so that's the whole point of having a living like that. And that's the whole point of a resource-based economy. And that's why I believe people at their core aren't that lazy. Everyone thinks if we don't have any jobs, we're just going to, I'm just going to sit at home on the couch and do nothing. But people, I don't think are programmed to do that. So Rob, as a, as a closing statement, I have one last question for you. And what do you say to people who just want to take the leap and want to live a different lifestyle and want to go off grid and completely change the way they live? Cause a lot of people think it's scary. So as someone, I remember you used to always ask me, what can I really do it? I don't feel like I can actually do it. I feel stuck in this way of life. So what, do you say was either your main inspiration or something that you think should be everyone's main inspiration for just doing it? Yeah. I don't even hold that belief anymore. I think it's a hundred percent possible. And I think you need to do whatever steps it, it takes. Like to me, it was thinking about it a long time. I've heard about these earth chips and then being like, Hey, you know what? For my birthday, I'm going to go and like rent one and stay in one see if it's actually like, you know what I think it is. 
So I went and did that. And the day after I got back, I signed up for the internship and I accepted at that time, hey, my job might not be cool with this. So they, I might have to quit. And fortunately, they, they let me go. Uh, but I was ready to just accept it and quit just to get, just to see what it's about. And, uh, yeah, I went there and, you know, I'm obviously not living off grid now, but I, I see that it's a lot more possible when you hear stories about the guys who are the leaders working there now, how they were living under a tarp for a year while they were building this. If you want to do this, you'll find a way to do it. Like, and now they live in a nice house on the Earthship community. Uh, with a family and everything, uh, living like a more or less normal life. Um, so you just got to do it and not be afraid because things, life changes. Things will always be changing. You know, you have to take control of those changes uh, because eventually, you know, you'll find yourself unhappy. Oh, and then you're, it's too late. You have like, you know, a family and you're paying debt and all this crap. So. Man, that was that was like some absolutely inspirational stuff right there. I mean, it's crazy what you just said. Like, do it while you can. Like you literally can't wait. People, like, this is a huge concept in my world, and and I again, I do. Uh, people that listen to this podcast probably know from the past. I listen to a lot of self help podcasts and read books and stuff. And one of the biggest things, and it's the truthful reason why I'm struggling i mean not struggling but it's the truthful reason why i'm fortunate enough to have my own little business and struggle my way to just paying my bills which i'm very fortunate to have is just start don't wait like we all there's always something that we're trying to get to in order to start it's always like i don't have enough money i don't have the right pair of pants to do this i don't have you know a th- this so i can't do that it's always like there's something always you wrong like to make up reasons to not do it <laughs> and you will do it forever and ever and ever and over and over and over and over because we're all perfectionists and i mean i i, I totally agree with you there uh, one thing that i want that should be the closing statement honestly that should close the podcast out because it was so damn powerful but before we go just within like two minutes or so i want to talk a little bit to you about the decision so for as a background rob and i went to high school together and then we actually ended up going to a community college here in arizona scottsdale community college getting our audio production technology degrees together uh we were in a band together with dj and really good friends and stuff but that being prefaced when because i don't think it seems i mean actually i I know i that you're not doing audio as a profession right now at least obviously that could you could do it later down the road but i think where you're you are going right now and where you're at right now is a lot more you and you seem more passionate about what you're doing now and and everything and dj was talking about how everybody expects to know what they're going to do at 18 years old my question for you is when did you have the actual realization in your head or maybe not realization but when did you tell yourself i'm not at least for now or maybe ever going to do audio for a living and i accept that i went to school for it learned a lot of cool things i know way way more about any nor- like audio than any normal person you know how to work everything but when was that point in time where you maybe made that decision to like oh man, now I want to like go pursue sustainability because I'm really passionate about that, you know? Yeah, uh, well, that whole concept of feeling pressured was like 
well, I was pressured. And then we were in a band and you were like doing the audio thing. I'm like, well, that sounds cool. And there's like, and my parents will be cool with it. Cause I'm yeah. going to school. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, that could be useful. So I didn't really know anything about being an audio engineer. I just liked music and recorded it very basically a few times. I'm like, yeah, that was cool. I get to record it and right. make it my own now. Right. Um, and then I think it was honestly during like a, a live sound class where the teacher really focused a lot about how it's about like getting clients and how you make a lot of money at like corporate gigs and like the lifestyles these yeah. people live and you were working live sound. You said it was super stressful. And I'm like, yeah, it was well, this fun. is nothing I like about music or recording. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I don't really dig live sound and then recording bands or music for money is more of this like go to shows like every fucking day and network and convince people to record with you for even pretty much no money for no money they all think they can do it themselves too and you don't it's just i don't know you add business to something you love and then suddenly it's not as enticing um and yeah that's what happened and i'd like sustainability this whole time and then at the same time when i stopped being in a band and I don't know. I just realized that you're. I was more than just playing music. You know? so, so, awesome. the, so the absence of monetary gain, if you took that variable away from audio engineering, would that be something you would go back into? Yeah, I love. I would love to record. I want to build an off-grid recording studio for people to come yeah, record. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I want. <laughs> I want to record bands and be like, dude, we can record in this sweet vibe, and. It'd be sick. It'd be off grid. You could throw that into your thing because bands are always about these, like, you know, more like trendy eco things or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I feel like my calling more so is the off grid stuff, and the music thing will come later. That's uh, kind of where I stand on like, my dude, career. My life, I don't want to dedicate my life to touring and playing music because I there's so many people doing that way better than me who are way more passionate, and that's cool. I can go and enjoy their shows and maybe join along if I want to, but I feel like there's a, a serious need for people to change how they live. Mm -hmm. And I you can serve a lot more people yeah, that way. I feel like I can just do that. So. All right, Rob. Well, I wish someone would have told me this in high school. We will by have the way, we will have to have another one of these where, uh, we talk more about kind of society since that's kind of where this conversation was heading towards. Um, so what you want to do sounds really similar to what I'm dedicating myself to do. And it's to kind of end the crippling systemic structure we have that makes us not be able to live out our dreams, basically. As cliche as that not sounds. Not reaching our potential. We're not reaching humans, our full you know? potential. And we're not hitting that uh, on, on the Maslow's chart of, of, uh, of happiness. We're not hitting that top tier. We have all the tears below it, but we're not hitting that self-actualization. And I believe by being able to explore your hobbies and not having these artificial objectives that Dad and that a lot more people will be able to re uh, reach the stage of self-actualization. And I believe once enough people are able to do that, then that will be the catalyst for a paradigm shift in the way we right. do things. And I believe that'll propel us forward and, you know, as a race by decades well, faster than what we're currently on the trajectory to do. Shifting the literal conditions which we live in will shift our consciousness forward. Exactly. Uh, because not everyone's strong enough to take a bad uh, environment 
and channel it into a positive way and just because you are not your environment you don't have to be influenced by it if you don't want to but a lot of people we we aren't willed enough we're not strong enough so we right now we do need to change our environments uh to shift our conscious i think literally uh because you can go out into nature you can go into earth ship and you'll feel the difference you know that nature is good for you okay well thank you rob for coming on the fractal exploratorium thanks Steve. look forward to seeing you and hearing you on this podcast again in the future thank you thank you guys for joining us today if you want or have any questions or comments you can email me at fractal exploratorium at gmail.com you can also follow us on instagram with the handle at fractal exploratorium i want everybody to have a nice rest of your day or night Thank you.